Hello, and welcome to the IBCD Care and Discipleship Podcast. I'm Craig Marshall, and today we're going to be discussing a listener question with Jim Neuheiser. He's the director of the Christian Counseling Program at RTS Charlotte, and he also serves as IBCD's executive director. Jim, we're glad that you can be with us, and thanks for answering these questions. My pleasure. One of the difficult dynamics of counseling is that someone's opened up to you about issues of their life, and then you weigh in on the situation. You seek to encourage them, give them hope, use the scriptures. Uh, But then ultimately, it's up to the other person to respond to that counsel. And the reality is there's a spectrum of how much of their response is going to match the counsel you gave, how much it's going to match those hours that you spent talking through the issue. And one of the things that some of our listeners have uh, talked to us about is it can get awkward when there's this disconnect between your counsel and their response. Sometimes as that relationship continues in a counseling setting, maybe you continue to see them at church and it, it their life hasn't gone exactly like you've laid out you think it should according to God's word. So how do we process through when people don't take our counsel? What are some of the things we need to factor? I'll begin with an actual case or two that may illustrate the kind of thing you're talking about in that there have been twice, there have been two occasions when I've been doing premarital counseling with a couple in which I advised them not to marry. And yet I could not say from the Bible they were not allowed to marry. And that's where the distinction is very important, is that you know, we as biblical counselors can say, thus says the Lord, you should not marry an unbeliever. You should not marry if you're not eligible to remarry because you're unlawfully divorced. There are different reasons why. But two Christians, you may say from the Bible, have a freedom to choose to marry one other man and woman and all of that. But then as a counselor, I look, I've had twice when I was in a situation where the situation seemed like such a train wreck about to happen that I could not in good conscience encourage them to marry. And so that's the kind of scenario where I can't say God will not let you get married from the Bible. And what I got to the point of saying is you're free to marry each other because for these reasons, I would advise you to delay, postpone, reconsider. But if you choose to do that, I will wish you well in your marriage. In my case, I also said in each case, I could not in good conscience perform this wedding because of the problems I see. And uh, how was was that received? Um, It caused the kinds of hurt feelings you were describing in your intro, where Actually, probably if you really want to destroy a relationship, tell two people in love they should marry each other. And sometimes that, you know, their, their hearts are so set on it, they've made this big decision. And it's something I don't take lightly. But in each case, it obviously had an effect where in each case, both were not around the church too long after that happened, for example. In each case, they went ahead and got married. In each case, I did what I could to wish them well and be supportive of the marriage. And in one case, it was a train wreck of historic proportion that ended in divorce. In the other case, they're limping along. So as you're processing that, it sounds like you have pretty clear categories of this is what the Bible says, um, and you're free to do something, and I wish you well. 
I'm not sure if everyone has those categories. Sometimes, sometimes counselors don't have those categories. Sometimes the people we're speaking with don't have those categories. Uh, tell me about those. Thank you for asking that question because I think it's extremely important. One of my responsibilities in doing training and counseling is I supervise people who are working through certification through ACBC or in an academic setting. And I've been really sometimes shocked, uh, worried, discouraged to see how often people who are getting a counseling degree or they're getting counseling certification think that that gives them the right to tell people to do whatever they think they ought to do. And I think it is hugely important to distinguish between something I can say to somebody, say, the Bible says, don't steal, don't commit fornication or adultery, go to church. There there are things that are just in the Bible there's no compromise on. But then there are other situations where in your heart of hearts, you may say, I really think you ought to go to this church instead of that church. And you may have 10 good reasons for that. Or you really may think, I really think you ought to pursue this career or go to this college. But you can't, from the Bible, make those distinctions. And so how <laughs> it sounds like people get sucked into that quite a bit. How do you learn to, to keep those things separate in your mind? In my own mind, I'm trying hard to keep those distinctions ringing through my head constantly, and I'm trying to pound it into the people I'm training. When I'm speaking, can I say from chapter and verse of Scripture, the the God-breathed Scriptures, God tells you this is what you must do. And if I can say that, I say it that way. Thus says the Lord, don't marry an unbeliever. I don't care what your emotions are telling you. That doesn't mean I'm not allowed to give advice beyond explicit chapter and verse. And oftentimes there there are biblical principles of wisdom. For example, you're about to marry someone who is massively in debt, financially responsible, virtually unemployable, you know, maybe a nice guy. I can show him in Proverbs that this lifestyle is going to generate problems for you. There may be wisdom in thinking long and hard about marrying this guy, but I can't say from anything in the Bible, you're not allowed to marry this guy and maybe live with some of the consequences in terms of wisdom. But because, well, there, there are two problems. One is counselors tend to overstate their authority and make their opinion and not distinguish between that, their opinion about how to apply principles of wisdom versus this is what God says. Counselees will often listen to us every statement we make as if it is thus says the Lord. My counselor says, therefore I must do. So I think we as counselors have an important duty to make it very explicit anytime it's not thus says the Lord to say, this is my view of what would be wise for you, but I cannot tell you from the Bible, you must do what I say. And I like how earlier on too, in the marriage situation, you affirm too, you are free to do something else and I will even wish you well, <laughs> you know, that that fleshes it out even more uh, for them. Because yeah, I think there's such a tendency for counselees, some counselees, especially to hear everything we're saying, especially if you have a position of pastoral authority in a church, just to hear that as if you don't do this, I'm not going to like you, it's going to be wrong for sure. And it's not that we're above that. I can admit there are times when I've given advice to somebody and it's not just advice where you've prayed for them, you've spent hours and hours with them, you've had them in your home, you've done, and then they go do the stupid thing. <laughs> and and you can be tempted to be exasperated and impatient with these people. And you can be tempted to take it personally when they don't listen to you. We need to recognize that the choices they make are ultimately before the Lord, they're accountable to him. And we're not to be surprised when people don't listen to us and don't agree. And if you can say, thus says the Lord, it's also possible you're wrong. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like there's a, a big danger of 
collapsing wisdom into law, taking just because we... something seems wise. Scripture may even say something's wise, um, but that doesn't mean that if the person does it differently, that it was a sinful action. I think that's a distinction that that counselors are lacking a lot of times and then that we need to fill out for our people. Right. Can you prove from the Bible it would be sin not to take this advice? And if you can't prove it that way, you need to make it, need to make it clear to your counselee it is a lower level of authority. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean you can't say anything, but you need to make their freedoms explicit as well. One of the ways that I've seen you do this is before you even say your opinion, especially if it's in an application of a biblical truth, you'll often ask the person ways that they think they could apply that truth before you even get to ways that you're thinking. Is, yeah. is that something you use on, on purpose to keep from? Let's make this concrete. And actually... This will often come up with homework. Most homework we give to people are ways of applying the Bible, but are not the only way. So I can give homework, memorize this passage, read this book. I can't say from the Bible, you've got to do those things. I can say, if you want to meet with me again, you'll do those things because I get to choose too. And so I think the example you gave, here's a guy who has been looking at pornography You can take him to Matthew 5 and say, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it from you. And that's in the context of looking lustfully. But to say to him, how do you think God would have you apply it? Then has him kind of creating his own standards and his own conscience, whatever is not a faith of sin. And so, well, I think I need to get rid of the internet. I think I need to get rid of my smartphone. I can't tell him from the Bible he must get rid of his smartphone. I could suggest, you know, covenant eyes, blocking software, accountability software. I could suggest the more dratic, drastic measures of not having internet access unless you're in a public place with your spouse standing next to you. I can't say from the Bible, you've got to do it exactly that way. But the strategy you described, I think is a great strategy, is you tell me how you're going to apply this biblical principle. The biblical principle is do something dramatic, if necessary, to be set free from this sin, which is going to ruin your life. Now, you tell me what you think you should do. And if you want some suggestions, I'll make some suggestions. But I probably have to point out, I can't force you to take this particular way. There may be some other program other than Covenant Eyes they ought to use. And uh, there are all kinds of permutations of possibilities. It sounds like humility for a counselor is something that we come back to again and again. But just because we've decided that it's a wise course of action for us just because we've seen success in our own life of doing something some way or success as we've helped other people that doesn't give us the right to then turn that into a thus saith the Lord, which requires humility. I think you're exactly right. And any self-conscious counselor should become more and more humble the more he does this or she does this. And the people I've seen who have had the most trouble, I think it is a matter of pride is if, I mean, it's again, if I'm saying, here's what the Bible tells you to do, it's not pride because God is telling them what to do. But if I think I can tell them to do something more specifically than the Bible, then they must do that or they're dead wrong. I'm elevating myself to a level that the Bible never intends. My job is to bring the scriptures to bear with that authority, can help them find ways of applying the scripture, but I'm not all wise. I'm, I've been wrong before. And the ways that I may think are a good way to do it, the counselee or some other counselor may have better ways to apply the biblical principles. So how do you respond then when you've met with someone, you've instructed them from God's word, and it typically, you know, it's a thus saith the Lord and some application. They come in and you find out that what they did was far different from what you described. So there's 
there's an application component for sure, but it also seems like they haven't even hit the thus saith the Lord part. What's a good way to deal with that? How do you how do you approach it when they haven't taken both facets of that counsel? Okay, and I'm going to try to make it concrete to make sure I'm answering the question the way you and the listener wanted. Thinking back to the guy that you encouraged him to put on some blocking software and a couple of other things to be accountable. And he comes back and he's got a bunch of excuses why that he didn't have time and his computer wouldn't work right if he did this or whatever. I'd go back to Matthew 5, 29 and say, what is it about this sin that you love so much that you're willing to let it destroy your whole life and kill you? It's a heart issue more than a performance issue. What do you what do you think the Lord wants you to do to save you from something which is going to drag you down to hell, according to the text? And so, again, I can't make you do these specific things, but I can tell you the Bible implores you to take this extremely seriously. And if you are serious, you will act, not just to be a hearer of a word, but the, the, the doer of the word, as James says. Do you see this as important as God sees it? How important is it to God? that you do this. And it's not that. It would be, sometimes the assignment is go to church. I can tell them to do that from the Bible because Hebrews 10 says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. I can tell them to work towards joining a church because Hebrews 13, 17 says you need to be accountable to your leaders. And if they want to meet with me again and again and they haven't done that, I can say, I can't tell you, I'm not going to tell you which church to go to. But I can tell you, you must go and you must do this. And I can give you suggestions. Mm-hmm. But that gets back to what we've talked about before, that if you're not willing to take some action to obey the biblical principle, you can pick how you do it. You know, if you get 20 churches you go to, I'd be fine with that. But if you're not willing to do that, then what's the point of our meeting? So it sounds like as you're listening to their uh, lack of carrying out the counsel, you're seeking not to get hung up on the minutia of the application of it, but to take them right back to the heart of the thus saith the Lord and seek to help them obey and implement that for the next time and, and parse out why that didn't happen that time. Right. And I think you bring up the best of the Lord is that they need to see that the problem is not between them and me, which is why the biblical mandate is important and not my way of doing things. And their problem, and they're going to have consequences come upon them because they're not doing what the Lord says, but there's blessing offered if they will seek after him. And I've found in doing this sometimes, it seems like a lot of people are used to a much more legalistic way of thinking about this and thinking about counsel. And so sometimes they come in sheepishly and they they know they haven't done the stuff and they're expecting you to harp on all the, you didn't read your Bible every day this week or something like that. And sometimes they're surprised when instead we affirm our concern is more for, we want you to be delighting in the law of the Lord and meditating upon it. How can I help you grow in that? Um, it can really catch them off guard. Right. Reading the Bible is another example. I can say from Psalm 1, Psalm 19, Psalm 119, lots of places, you should be reading your Bible a lot. I can't tell you, read a chapter of Ephesians every day and two chapters of Genesis every day or something. I can make that as a suggestion. But if they come back and they haven't been in the Word at all for a week, there's something wrong. Peter says, like, newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word. And if somebody can claim to be a babe in Christ and have no desire for milk for an entire week, it's not just a matter of, boy, you need more discipline in your life. It's what's wrong with your appetite for the things of God. 
how have you been spending your time elsewhere that you've shown is so much more important to you than this? It's good. And so, yeah, taking them back to to those true heart concerns, that's what the Lord's really seeking to address. And we're seeking to help them and shepherd their soul through that. One final question I have is just the the relational dynamic at play. Um, people can feel awkward or judge, no matter how many caveats we give of you're free to do that or whatever. You even mentioned it in the examples that people didn't stick around the church probably that long after. Now, I understand that's a really big scenario, but what are ways that you as a counselor, as a pastor, seek to continue to affirm to people your love and care for them, even as you're walking through them in this process where some of your counsel they're taking and they're not even taking the thus saith the Lord perfectly. Yeah. And the psalmist in Psalm 103 talks about how his father has compassion on his children. The Lord has compassion on us. He knows our frame. And that's not talking about my counselee. That's talking about me. God is very patient with me. I'm his child. I'm weaker than I know. And I know a lot. And so I think to look upon your counselee with the same measure of grace that God shows you, as we would our own children, our own children let us down, our own children do foolish things, our own children don't do the very things we thought they finally could do. And so there has you want to have a father-like, God-like love for the people you're trying to help, where your love for them is not conditioned upon their performance, but it's, you know, you, God has put them into your life and you care for them. And it kind of goes back to what we said earlier. And when they fail, it's not you they're failing. It's the Lord against whom they're sinning. And so, and that should break our heart more than the fact that they didn't do what we wanted them to do so we can't feel successful as counselors, is that this person could go an entire week without fellowship, without being in the Word of God, yet they claim to be a Christian. That's awful. But it's not me that whom they're insulting. It's the Lord himself. And that's an awful and a dangerous place for them to be. Mm -hmm. And we don't sit above them in judgment, but instead when we realize they've failed the Lord in this sin, we know what it's like to fail the Lord and sin and fall short of um, what he's created us to do and, and seeking to help us grow in. And so we can walk right there along with them in the midst of those failures and struggles. That's what we have to keep in mind. But the questions you ask are completely valid because it's hard not to take it personally. And not, sometimes they don't just ignore you. Sometimes they fight you. Then <laughs> they give, give you a really hard time. And uh, they twist what you said and they, you know, different things happen. And just, you can't take those things personally. You have to be humble and gracious. And hopefully, if you're to some extent bearing the fruit of the Spirit and modeling Christ-likeness, the Lord may use that to help them. Well, that's great. Thanks for helping us think through this uh, aspect of counseling and helping others. That's that's common to, to every situation we'll, we'll find ourselves in. And we want to thank you all for listening to this episode of the Care and Discipleship Podcast. And remember that you can submit questions to us on our podcast page on the website, or you can email us at info at ibcd.org.